Hey there, all you true crime fans. I'm your host, Amanda Russell, and this is Colorado Crime. If you're new here, I cover cases from coast to coast with a special emphasis on cases that happen right here in colorful, crime-filled Colorado. If you're returning, thank you and welcome back. Before we jump in, I have some exciting news. We are now on Apple Podcast. I'm so sorry for the delay. There's a technical issue, but it's fixed now. So you can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Podcast. I do, however, have one more disclosure before we start. The case that we're discussing today involves the death of two young girls. I will do my very best to protect their integrity and keep our victims at the center of the story. I won't be offended if this is a case that you can't listen to due to its sensitive nature. I'll be back next week with a new case. This week's case will be our first case outside of Colorado. But before we begin, I want you to take a quick second and think back to what you were doing five and a half years ago. Were you just starting a new job, getting married, buying a home, starting your first year of college? Maybe you were welcoming a new baby or buying a new car. Whatever it was, hold on to it for a second. Appreciate it. Whether it was the highest high in your life or the lowest low, live in that feeling a little longer. Did you feel it? Relief, hope, happiness, sadness? That's the joy of life, the ability to recall those special moments. They're fleeting and gone before you even know how special they were and how those little moments changed your life completely. Now, Think of how much has changed in those five and a half years. We're older, hopefully wiser, more experienced. You're no longer a newlywed. That baby is a kindergartner now. And if you're anything like me, that new car was traded and you have something different. Life keeps moving, and none of those things from five and a half years ago are the same. Except five and a half years ago, our victims lost their lives. Maybe they would be experiencing their first year of college. Or maybe they would have taken a gap year and decided to travel the world. Or maybe they would be decorating their first apartment together, living with their best friend. Maybe they would. Maybe. But Libby and Abby didn't get to experience any of those maybes. They will always remain 13 and 14 years old. Delphi, Indiana is the county seat of Carroll County. It's a relatively small town, only 2.73 square miles. According to census information, there are 2,972 people that call Delphi home. It is the 174th most populated city out of 685 in Indiana. I've never personally visited, but from what I've seen online, it looks like the quintessential small town. Downtown Delphi is lined with grand buildings from a time since forgotten. Picture walking down the street headed towards the soda shop in the 1950s. That's the best way to describe downtown. It looks picturesque, safe even, and I'm sure most residents felt that way. At least until 2017, when the double murder of Abigail Williams and Liberty German rocked the small town to its core. Let's take a moment to get to know the two most important people at the center of our story, Libby and Abby. 
Libby had an unconventional home life, but one that was filled with love. While Libby lived with her father, Derek, she also lived with her grandparents, Mike and Becky. They were her and her sister's legal guardians. Libby's mom, Carrie, lived in Kentucky, but routinely spoke with the girls and was very close. Libby had a sister named Kelsey. The two were best friends. The kind of sisterly relationship you hoped for. Libby was a great swimmer, and she loved softball. She was actually prepping for the upcoming season before her death. She was constantly leaving sticky notes for her friends and family. Her grandma still has some of her notes. Libby was known for her baking, but more specifically, her chocolate chip cookies. In an interview with Libby's grandparents, they both mentioned how she would whip up a batch of chocolate chip cookies for the family on a whim, something they all loved and remembered fondly. Abby wasn't just a cute, freckle-faced little girl in a big hat. Abby loved sports, band, music, church, her family, and she was very artistic. She was kind-hearted and smart. Abby lived with her mom, Anna. They were incredibly close. Since the murders, Anna has done several interviews and is such an incredible person. Her strength is unwavering. Abby was also incredibly close with her grandpa, Cliff. They would watch Andy Griffith together, movies, specifically Toy Story. She was his shopping buddy and his best friend. The weekend before her murder, her grandpa took her shopping for a new glove and bat for the upcoming softball season she was so looking forward to. Afterwards, the two played catch together, a memory he will always carry with him. Now, I'm not a crier. I don't choke up easily, but listening to the press releases and interviews with the families really got to me. I noticed myself tearing up a few times. These girls' story is one that deserves justice. No happy ending will come from this. After all, what happy ending includes the death of two little girls? What I do hope for, though, is some sort of peace for the families. Now, let me take you back to that fateful day when Delphi changed forever. It was a sunny and warm day in February, a rare occasion in Indiana, and it just so happened Abby and Libby didn't have school. Indiana sets aside a certain amount of snow days per year. 2017 hadn't been particularly snowy, so this beautiful day was a makeup snow day. The girls planned a sleepover for the night before. When they woke up the next morning, they asked Libby's dad to make pancakes. Since the weather was so nice that day, the girls asked if Kelsey would take them to the Monan High Bridge to take some pictures. Libby and Abby shared a love of photography, something that would later become crucial in finding their killer. Kelsey had to work that afternoon, but agreed to take the girls if Libby's grandma said it was okay. After the girls got the go-ahead, they quickly got ready and rushed out the door, not even stopping to grab jackets. Kelsey, being the great big sister she was, went back inside and grabbed jackets for the girls. She knew the girls would only be there a short time before Libby's dad picked them up, but she worried they would get cold. Girls made their way to the entrance of the trailhead, Libby in the passenger seat, Abby in the back, giggling and joking, enjoying the last bit of normalcy before so many lives would be completely turned upside down. On February 13th, 2017, Kelsey dropped the girls off around 1.35. The girls began hiking the trail system and headed for the Monan High Bridge. This wasn't your typical bridge. This bridge was in rough shape. 
It was built in 1890 and had been abandoned in the 1980s. It's roughly 1,300 feet in length, and during its prime, it was highly traveled by trains. It stands roughly 63 feet above Deer Creek and was never considered a safe structure for pedestrians. However, it became a popular walking trail due to its beautiful scenery, and plans were made to turn it into a pedestrian walkway. At around 2.07 p.m., Libby posted a photo of Abby walking along the bridge. This was the last time the girls were heard from. Libby's father, Derek, arrived to pick the girls up at around 3.15 p.m. and called Libby, but received no answer. After several more calls went unanswered, he parked and began searching for the girls, calling their names as he went along. After Derek couldn't reach the girls and found no sign of them, he called Libby's grandma, Becky. After Becky couldn't reach the girls, Kelsey was called. Kelsey also tried calling Libby, but received no response. The two teenagers were reported missing around 5.30 p.m., and search parties began looking all over the heavily wooded terrain for any sign of the missing girls. Much to the community's dismay, the search was temporarily called off around 12.30 a.m. Several people have criticized local law enforcement for this decision, but it came to a point where it was no longer safe for the searchers due to poor visibility, not to mention the danger of contaminating a potential crime scene. Although, at this point, most people thought one of the girls must have fallen and the other wouldn't leave her. Never did they think, in less than 12 hours, would this missing person's case turn into the horrific, unsolved double homicide that it was. The search for the missing girls picked back up at 10.30 a.m. the next morning after a heavy layer of fog lifted. The amount of people looking for these two teens was impressive, over a thousand people. Not only did they have police and fire searching, but they had a magnitude of community members out searching as well. Friends, family, pastors, neighbors, strangers, out-of-town visitors, you name it, they were searching to find these girls. Around 12.15 p.m. on the 14th, the day after the girls were reported missing, a citizen in a search party located the bodies of two young girls in a wooded area not far from the Monan High Bridge. Police were close behind. The crime scene was taped off, and the missing person's case became an active homicide investigation. While information that two bodies were discovered began circulating, the official announcement didn't come until February 15th. Abigail Joyce Williams and Liberty Rose Lynn German were dead and foul play was suspected. Investigators from all over the state poured into the small town of Delphi to help bring justice to the small community. Delphi had city police officers, county deputies, FBI agents, as well as the Indiana State Police involved in the search and investigation. Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter was even involved in the search. A little more on Mr. Carter. If I ever go missing, I hope it's in Indiana. This man has given so much to the case. In every interview, podcast, briefing, or press release I've seen, this man has taken accountability for the investigation and the frustration the community is feeling. He empathizes with the community and the families, and his love for these two girls does not go unnoticed. 
He is truly a man who embodies what being a police officer is. In an interview he gave, he mentioned that the homicide task force created for Abby and Libby gathered daily, and on the wall was a sign that read, quote, today is the day, end quote. When despair really started to set in, and it felt like dead end after dead end, the team would look up at the sign and feel hopeful that maybe today really is the day. Police remained tight-lipped, something that has been criticized since the beginning regarding the cause of death, any evidence recovered, and any leads. You'll be hard-pressed to find much information about this case online. The Indiana State Police Superintendent was quoted as saying, quote, We will not jeopardize its, the case's, integrity by releasing or discussing documents or information before the appropriate time, end quote. But what little information has been released is plentiful. I'm sure most of you have heard the three crucial words in this case, down the hill, and have even seen the two sketches done of the suspect. Later in the day, on February 15th, it was announced that Libby's phone was recovered. On it was audio of the suspect. A still photo was released on the 15th and the audio was later released on the 22nd. Police believed someone would be able to recognize the suspect by his voice or the pixelated photo. A tip line was set up, and anyone with information was asked to call. The clip, down the hill, came from Libby's phone, as she, unexpectedly, captured their murderer. That was all the information that was released from Libby's phone for the next two years, but we'll talk about that later on. It has been mentioned by the FBI that a souvenir was taken from the crime scene, potentially clothing from one of the victims, as well as the bodies being moved or staged. Also, that the girls' bodies showed no signs of struggle. Additionally, there were fibers and unidentified hairs removed from the crime scene. Early on in the investigation, police took a special interest in Ronald Logan. Mr. Logan owned the land the girls' bodies was found on. Ronald Logan owned the land for more than 50 years. His name was also reported several times anonymously as someone police should look into. FBI agents did state that Logan's voice was, quote, not inconsistent, end quote, with the voice Libby captured. Phone records would also show that Logan's phone was in the area where the girls' bodies were found on the night of the murders. On February 16th, police obtained a search warrant for Logan's entire property, including his home, garage, F-250 truck, computers, and cell phones. It was discovered that Logan was in possession of several weapons, including handguns and knives, which were a violation of his parole. After the search was completed, no evidence was found linking Ronald Logan to the crime. He was never officially named a suspect and died of COVID in January of 2022. On February 18th, a memorial service was held for the two girls. A family member of Libby's would later state that pictures of the girls were printed at a local CBS, and the person who developed these did not charge the family. We'll touch on this again later also. On March 9th, despite thousands of tips and assistance from the FBI and the Indiana State Police, 
investigators were no closer to finding the girl's killer. Libby's family went on the local news stations and pleaded with the public to give Libby just one minute, a phrase that Libby used constantly. Anytime she was asked to move her backpack or clean her room or come to dinner, Libby would respond, one minute. The family asked the public to look at the photo that was released from Libby's phone and really take the time to look at the suspect and send in any tips. No tip was too small. The reward fund had grown to over $200,000, a scholarship fund was set up, and any additional funds would be used to build a memorial park in the girl's honor. On July 17th, the first sketch of the suspect was released. He was a large man with a conductor-like hat, a goatee, a pronounced nose, and a hoodie. This release produced a flurry of tips, but still, no arrests were made. In September of 2017, the girls' families went on Dr. Oz to plead for tips and answers. The one-year anniversary of the murders came and went, and then another one. No real leads were produced in 2018. The case became colder and colder. That is, until April 22, 2019. Police released the second sketch of a suspect and the audio recording that now included the word guys down the hill at a press release. What came as a total shock to the public was the fact that Libby had actually recorded a video of the girl's suspected killer. While only a few seconds of footage has been released, it is believed that the actual video is 43 seconds long. This time, investigators asked for news media as well as the public to be in attendance of the press release. Something slightly odd, but it drummed up talk and attention. Many people attended, hoping for more answers. ISP Superintendent Doug Carter said that the killer was likely in the room or watching the news conference. In the press release, it was also stated that investigators believed that the suspect lived or worked in the Delphi area. Once again, tips came flooding in, but still no arrests were made. Two more years passed. It had now been four years since the girls were murdered in broad daylight in a public place where people were actively walking around. No new information had been released. No new suspects were named. Nothing. Then, in December of 2021, police announced a possible break in the case. A catfish social media account by the name of Anthony Schatz was discovered to have spoken with Libby shortly before the girls died. The account was linked back to Keegan Klein, a grown man who lived about 30 minutes away. He's actually currently making his way through the judicial system on an unrelated child porn case that involves 30 counts, including possession of child pornography and child exploitation. It was announced the FBI raided Klein's home 10 days after the double homicide. In a news release, ISP said Klein, quote, used images of a known male model and portrayed himself as being extremely wealthy and owning numerous sports cars, end quote. Investigators say the profile was used from 2016 to 2017 to contact underage girls 
solicit nude photos from them, and then obtain their addresses to meet up. Klein has denied any involvement in the girl's murder. Furthermore, he has not been charged or named as a suspect in the murders of Abby and Libby. And that was all we heard regarding the investigation. The world waited, and the family never lost hope. And then, the announcement heard round the world happened. On Friday, October 28th, 2022, just this past week, it was announced that an arrest had been made in the case. A press release would be held Monday, October 31st at 10 a.m. Kelsey Siebert, Libby's sister, who is now married, tweeted, quote, Today is the day, end quote. That hopeful beacon from the early days finally becoming a reality. Media gathered at the Delphi United Methodist Church, the same location that was used for the first press release when it was announced that Abby and Libby's bodies were recovered, the same location the family gathered and stood strong against the unknown evil who completely changed their worlds. ISP Superintendent Doug Carter made the announcement that on October 26, 2022, police arrested 50-year-old Richard M. Allen of Delphi, Indiana. He was formally charged with two counts of murder on October 28th and pleaded not guilty. He is currently being held without bond and will have his pretrial conference on January 13th, 2023 at 9 a.m. A pretrial conference is an opportunity for the defendant's attorney to discuss the case with the prosecutor. Some pretrial conferences will result in the case being resolved by a plea agreement or pretrial diversion. Currently, his trial is set for March 20th, 2023 at 9 a.m. And as it stands now, there will be a public hearing set for November 22nd, 2022 at 9 a.m. to discuss whether or not the probable cause affidavit will remain sealed by the courts or not. A probable cause affidavit explains why an individual has been charged with a crime, outlining the defendant's alleged actions that led to his or her arrest. Indiana state law requires that a probable cause affidavit be publicly filed in most criminal cases after a defendant has been charged. There's definitely been some back and forth on this topic. Many people feel this should have been released when Richard Allen was arrested but I guess I can see why it's being withheld from the public. After all, this is the brutal murder of two teenage girls we're talking about. The ISP, FBI, county and municipal officers have worked diligently and tirelessly to ensure an arrest was made. Releasing information prematurely could really jeopardize this case. For legal reasons, I have to say this. Richard M. Allen is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But I'll also say that I have a nine-year-old daughter and the thought of Richard Allen, if he really did what he's accused of, being a free man scares the shit out of me. If he really did commit these heinous crimes, he went completely undetected for almost six years. In my opinion, documents can be sealed until trial if that means prosecutors can nail his ass to the wall. Allegedly. Lastly, 
I want to bring up those photos that I mentioned earlier. Libby's family member alleged that she picked up these photos and wasn't charged, which doesn't sound odd until I tell you Richard Allen was actually the one who processed that order. He was working at CVS at the time of the murders, and the family member went to pick up the photos and they weren't charged. Typically, this wouldn't stand out to me. I think any normal person, given the situation, would have comped the photos out of just the goodness of their heart. The entire community was rocked by this. However, the fact that it was Richard Allen is a little alarming to me. Did he comp the photos because he was guilty? I want to know what you guys think about that. I want to end this case by saying how bittersweet it feels to have made it this far. I want to be excited that an arrest was made, but it absolutely breaks my heart for these families. I wish they didn't have to go through this. I wish murder didn't occur. I especially wish that it didn't occur to children. I think there's a special place in hell for anyone who harms a child. My thoughts are with both Abby and Libby's families. They deserved to live out their maybes, but now they deserve justice. Lastly, I have to say how proud I am of these girls. I don't know that at 14, I would have had the awareness or even the idea to hit the record button. Libby has been regarded as a hero in this case. All the information we have so far has come from Libby herself, and Abby never left Libby's side. As far as friends go, she's the best of the best. Some people don't make those kind of friendships in their entire lifetime. But those two girls had each other, and no amount of what happened to those girls is okay or what I wish on anybody. But I'm glad they had each other and they weren't alone in those last moments. I will update you guys as the case progresses. Thank you for tuning in this week. I'll be back next week with a new case. New episodes are released every Friday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Please follow me on Instagram at Colorado Crime Pod for updates on next week's case, as well as other true crime happenings. If you have any cases you would like me to cover, please send an email to Amanda at coloradocrimepodcast.com. I hope you have a beautiful day wherever you are. And as always, stay safe.